Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. That is, of course, what we commonly call the Great Commission. How do you feel as you listen to that? Excited? Or nervous? Confident? Or maybe anxious? Perhaps it just reminds you of all those times that you have let an opportunity go. An opportunity to tell somebody the good news of Jesus appeared, and you knew it. But then the moment passed, the conversation moved on, and you're feeling a little bit useless. Or perhaps you spotted that opportunity, and you took it. And actually, it went okay. Nobody accused you of being ridiculous. In fact, you think you really made progress. In fact, you feel quite proud. You were fulfilling the Great Commission today. Last week, we looked at the covenant that God made with Abraham to give him a land, a people, and a blessing. And in those first two chapters, we saw God working on the nation part of the covenant. Just in case you weren't here or uh, don't remember, then have a look down at verse 5 of chapter 1. The descendants of Jacob numbered 70 in all. And then look down at verse 7. But the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly and increased in number. You see, the family of 70 grew to a nation of thousands. But there is a problem. The Israelite nation are still under the oppressive Egyptian rule in a foreign land. So today we're going to look at God's plan to bring them, to bring his people into the land that he has promised them. But the next problem is in verse 1 in chapter 3. His servant Moses is miles away from his people, minding his own business, tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. The once young, passionate, Kill first, think later Moses has become a shepherd in the desert. He's had his own family, he seems to be fine minding his own business. So here's a question for you. How do you take a shepherd of sheep and turn him into a shepherd of God's people? The answer to that question is what we are going to spend our time looking at together this morning. Moses, the shepherd of the sheep, has an exhaustive list of reasons that he should not go and do God's work. And hopefully in that two minutes you saw these excuses in your group. I'm going to run through them now and I want you to see that they are all answered by who God is. So in verse 11 Moses says, Who am I that I should go? God says, I will be with you. Moses says, Suppose they ask me, what is his name? God says, I am who I am. Moses says, what if they don't believe me? God says, I will give you signs to perform. Moses says, I have never been eloquent. God says, I will help you to speak. Moses says, please send someone else. God says, your brother is already on his way to help you. All of Moses' shortcomings are answered by who God is. And it is very important that we too know God if we are to serve him. That is why the title of this talk is Know God to Serve God. And we're going to start looking at who he is under the heading of our miniature God. 
You may remember that last week we saw God's complete control over all situations, and this chapter today starts with another example of that. It is, of course, no coincidence at all that Moses happens to wander over to the far side of the desert on the day that God happens to be in a burning bush. So put yourself in Moses' shoes on that day. Go on, look down at your dusty sandals. Now take them off, because verse 5 says that this place is holy ground. You are in the presence of the perfect creator, God. And then as God tells you who he is, you hide your face, because a sinner cannot look at God. The awesome, perfect Lord. To go any closer would be to put himself in deadly danger. It would be all too easy for us to skip over this initial response. But I think that we would do well to learn this lesson. Because perhaps we have lost our reverence before God. We live in a world around us where many reduce God to another world view. Something to take or leave. Something that may or may not be true. If you type the word, uh, not type the word Google, if you type the word God into Google, you get those images of white-haired old men or tranquil, peaceful sunsets. Moses isn't even seeing God here, yet he hides his face when he is told that he is in the presence of the God of your father, the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. This is the God of the Covenant. Do you remember, as we read read Luke's Gospel last term, we saw that as Peter realises who Jesus is, he falls to his knees and says, Get away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. When Isaiah is commissioned into God's work, he sees God in all of his glory in the temple. And he cries, Woe to me, for I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips. When God sees Christ in his vision at the beginning of Revelation, he falls at his feet as though dead. This is the point. When man meets God, he is literally humbled to the ground. You will know in your own heart if you have forgotten the awesomeness and majesty of God and are in danger of reducing him to a miniature version of himself. When I was a a young boy, I used to collect those little plastic football players with the oversized heads. I don't know if anyone else did. Yeah, a few nods, that's encouraging. I think I used to get them out of cereal boxes, but I couldn't remember. Um, Anyway, I remember how excited I was on the day that I got the Alan Shearer figure. Um, But of course, miniatures don't really tell you what the real thing is like. The miniature Alan Shearer didn't really tell me what Alan Shearer was like. The danger of reducing God to a miniature model is that. We have a kind of truth, but an easier, pocket-sized version. A more manageable understanding of who he is. No wonder we can feel nervous or proud when it comes to doing his work of the Great Commission, if we have reduced him to a miniature. As you listen to God's word read, maybe at church this evening, are you slumped in a pew just wondering how long the sermon will be? Or are you listening to the God of the world, the God who spoke and created the world. As you pray to him at night, are you falling asleep? Or do you come before him as the only one who is powerful to change anything? 
Don't miss him. It's wonderful that we can, for us to be praying to our Heavenly Father. But let that be because you do know him as your Father. And not because it's, you have forgotten who it is that you're talking to. Well, God has certainly got Moses' attention. So now put yourself back in his shoes. Moses' shoes, that is. And um, listen to him as he starts to tell us about his plan to rescue his people. He explains how he's seen the misery of his people, how he has heard their cries, how he is concerned, and how he will rescue them and take them to a wonderful land. And you can start to imagine the the joy and the excitement that Moses might feel. This is what he's been waiting for for 40 years. Fast forward a month or so to the last CU meeting before uh, events week, and you too might know this feeling as your staff worker Simon maybe gives you a fantastic talk of God's mission for your campus and you feel excited about the coming week. You think that it's great that there are all these people ready to go and tell the campus the gospel. And you know what? It's such a relief that there's all these people here because now I don't really have to get involved. If you're honest with yourself, do you ever feel something like that? I'm really pleased that all of this gospel work is going on. And I'm also really pleased that I'm not one who has to go and do it. That was Moses. As far as he was concerned, he was just the shepherd of the sheep. How can he ever be the one that will be the shepherd of God's people? And this is when the excuses start. I don't know if you've noticed, but I think the world of sport is particularly full of excuses. Uh, This is my favourite from the Women's World Cup a few years ago. A mysterious lightning bolt struck many members of the North Korean football team, leaving no visible marks but wiping out their skills. That is how coach Kim Kwang-min explained the team's failure in the women's soccer tournament. You see, we, we all use excuses, don't we? Because they mask the reason that we're doing or not doing something. So look down with me at Moses' first excuse in verse 11. He starts by saying, Who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And isn't that revealing? His first thoughts in all of this is about, are about himself. And no wonder he doubts, particularly when we know that the answer is that Moses is a murderer who has abandoned his people and now he set up a cosy life in the desert. That's what we might say. On the other hand, God could have said... Uh, he could have answered Moses with an encouraging list of who he is. Something like, you were, you were born into my people, but you grew up in Pharaoh's house. And therefore, you, you know both cultures. You've proven yourself to be passionate about the justice of Israel. And you've had time to grow up and mature in the desert. That's who you are. But no, who am I, says Moses. I will be with you, says God. Looking to self will not give us any assurance that looking to God will. Last week I managed to make the most of the snow and I went sledging. And after a while my friend Ben turned up. And uh, a few of you would have seen my friend Ben around last week. He's got a few uh, physical difficulties and he decided that sledging wasn't his thing. And actually he was right. For him to go down the road would have been dangerous. He could have fallen off or crashed into someone or hurt himself. But I thought that he would enjoy it. So I said, come on Ben. I'll go with you. And with that, Ben got on the stage and we went down together. It was because he trusted me to steer and to stop that he was happy to go down. If I was not there, then he would not have gone. 
Do you see what do you see that who comes with you makes a difference to whether you go or not? That is what Moses had to understand. Now what Ben didn't see is that just before that he got there, I had gone down with Claire, and despite my best steering efforts and some very useful and loud instruction from Claire, I had in fact driven us into the only tree in the field. <laughs> and that is why the next question is so important for us when it comes to trusting God. If you're going to trust God, the one who is going to be with you, you need to know just how trustworthy he is. Turns out when it comes to me and sledging, the answer is not very. When Moses asks God for his name in verse 13, he is actually saying, who are you? You see, in scripture up until this point, names have always been significant. Abraham means exalted father. And then when God promised him a nation, His name was changed to Abraham, meaning the father of many. Gershom, not a very nice name, is it? Gershom was called Gershom because God, because Moses had become an alien in a foreign land. Moses is called Moses because he was taken up out of the water. So when God is saying, what is your name? He is saying, who are you? And God says, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. I am. That is the name of God. Not, I am like Pharaoh, but more powerful. Not, I am like all of the world's kings put together. I am not like anything. He is unique. He is who he is. He cannot be compared to anything else. He cannot be limited to what we can comprehend. S.M. Lockridge captures it well in his That's My King speech when he says he is indescribable, he is incomprehensible, he is invincible, he is irresistible. I'm trying to tell you the heaven of heavens cannot contain him, let alone a man explain him. I am who I am, says God. And that is exactly why Moses can trust him. I am means that God is not subject to or reliant on anything. He cannot be changed or influenced by anything outside of himself. He is completely complete. That is exactly why Moses can trust him, and that is exactly what he needed to hear. It means that he could trust his covenant. Now, pay attention here, because it needs a little thinking, but it's important to grasp. As you know by now, we are looking at the story of God working his covenant to, bring, to give Abraham a land, a people, and a blessing. Back in Genesis, God said that if he breaks that covenant, then the punishment will be death. But God cannot die. He is saying, as surely as I am who I am, this will happen. Because he is completely self-sufficient and self-sustaining, it will definitely happen, i.e., as surely as God is God, he will give you a land, a people, and a blessing. The name of God tells Moses that the one who will go with him is absolutely, 100% trustworthy. Knowing who God is is essential to living as a Christian, because by knowing him, we know that we can trust him. Whenever you read God's name in the Bible, that is what you should remember. And just an aside on that, whenever you read the word Lord, all in capitals, in the Bible, 
That is our translation of God's name, which would have originally sounded like the word Yahweh. And so for the rest of the talk, I'm going to, go and, I'm going to try and use the name Yahweh instead of Lord, because it reminds us who God is. He has a name, not just a title. Well, look back at the text. The objections keep coming, and Yahweh graciously keeps on answering them and equipping Moses for the task that he has given him. We haven't got time to look at them all in detail this morning, but um, take the three signs at the beginning of chapter 4. Yahweh takes the ordinary things of the world and uses them in an extraordinary way. In the snake, he shows that he is Lord over creation. In a diseased hand, he shows that he is the God of hell. In the water of the Nile turning to blood, he shows that he is a God over life and death. Then Moses points out the fact that he is not an eloquent speaker. And again, this is by answer by God, by saying, I am the one who gives man his mouth. I will give you the words to say. And then the truth comes out. The bottom line behind all of the excuses. Look down with me at verse 13. Moses said, O Lord, please send someone else to do it. He has hit rock bottom. He has no excuses left. He has separated himself from his people. He is quite content with his life. And when faced with being told to go and be God's representative in an international and political matter, he is just not up to the task. And here is the key. This is the time that God chooses to send him. Look down with me at verse 14. God says that Aaron is already on his way to help Moses in this task. Do you see that Moses' reluctance has not taken God by surprise? My first thought as I looked at this passage was that it would particularly apply to somebody who was nervous in evangelism. But that would actually be missing the point of what God is doing here. Yahweh being in control of everything, could have used Moses back when he was 40, back when he was passionate, back when he was ready to fight. But no, in his perfect will and timing, Yahweh uses an old, broken man at his lowest point to bring about his purpose. The proud man must be humbled before Yahweh so that he might trust him. The scared man must trust God so that he has confidence to go. Just last week I sat at church and listened to a missionary couple and they spoke of times in their lives where they have had everything stripped away from them. They could see no way forwards. They could not help themselves and they were left to cry out to God. And he did deliver them. Just like that, Moses was brought to a point where he had nothing to offer God and that was the point at which Yahweh sent him the point where he had to completely rely on him. And I think this is reaffirmed as we read of that bizarre moment in verses 24 to 26 of chapter 4. It seems like God has finally persuaded a reluctant Moses to go and do what he wants him to do. And then we read that God goes to kill Moses. Somehow, Zipporah, that is Moses' wife, realises the problem and circumcises their son, And this seems to satisfy God's wrath. (coughs) Moses had been disobedient by neglecting the sign of the covenant, 
the very work that he had been given to do. However, the big point of this strange occurrence is that Moses is again completely humbled. We see that God could kill him at any moment. And it was his Gentile wife, the one who didn't know the covenant of the Lord, who realised what must be done to make things right. Do you now see that Moses has absolutely nothing to offer God? He has been revealed to be a murderer, a coward, and disobedient. Now, what are we to make of all of that? Perhaps, as one commentary said, there is a burning bush moment out there for all of us who sincerely seek God's will. Are we ready for an adventure with God? But I would say we're not to go looking for a moment like that. God had to partly reveal himself to Moses in the burning bush, but he has perfectly revealed himself to us in his son. I'd like you to turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 8, verse 28. Uh, 58, verse 58. Very truly I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was, I am. At this they picked up stones to stone him. Okay, keep your finger there and then flick forwards to John 18. And this passage is on the night that Jesus was arrested. So John 18, verses 4 and 5. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it that you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas, the traitor, was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they threw back and fell to the ground. Now that you know the name of God, do you see why both passages hold such a dramatic response? In John 8, the Pharisees want to kill him because he has just claimed to be God. And when the teachers of the law uh, say they want Jesus of Nazareth in chapter 18, and he says, I am he, which literally translated would be, I am. Jesus is Yahweh in the flesh. He walked this earth. The very same one from whom Moses hid his face, ate and drank with sinners. The same Lord who commanded Moses to remove his shoes, washed the feet of sinners. The one who seemed unknowable and unapproachable revealed himself and approached us. You know him. John says this about him. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I am the vine. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth and the life. If you want to know Yahweh, then look to the Son, the one of whom the writer of Hebrews says is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. I started with a question. How do you take a shepherd of sheep and turn him into a shepherd of God's people? The answer? You show him Yahweh and tell him that Yahweh is with him as he goes. So now I'll take a new question. How do you take a people like us and equip us to do God's work? The answer? 
We see from Moses that we're not going to get anywhere by looking at who we are. But that would only prepare the ground for doubt, as it did for Moses. Instead, you show us Emmanuel, God with us. Let me take you back to that moment in the last CU meeting before events week. That moment where you want to run and hide so that you don't have to get involved. Or the moment that you let that opportunity slip and now you feel useless. Or that moment that you took and now you feel proud. Know that Yahweh is with you. The very same God who we have spent our time looking at this morning is with you. You have no right to feel proud. You have no right to feel afraid. Because Yahweh is with you in his work. At the beginning, I read to you the Great Commission, but I cut it a little short. Let me, listen, uh, let me read it to you again. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. Well, there's some questions for you to talk about in your groups for the next 20 minutes.